A major new slate of legislation was introduced to the House last week. Five bills that propose sweeping changes to how the biggest tech companies do business. It's the most aggressive effort to rein in large companies in more than 50 years. The company that could arguably be hurt the most if this were to be approved is Amazon. It could force an entire company breakup. It would change Amazon as we know it. That's our colleague Dana Mattioli, who covers Amazon. If the bills pass, Amazon could be forced to split up the company. As in, break off its division that manufactures Amazon-branded products, like the Kindle or Echo, so that it's separate from the marketplace where millions of businesses sell their goods. In Congress, where almost nothing is bipartisan, there are two champions for this legislation from different sides of the aisle. There's the Democrat. David Cicilline, member of Congress from the 1st Congressional District of Rhode Island. And the Republican. This is Ken Buck, congressman representing the 4th Congressional District of Colorado. Neither Buck nor Cicilline came to Congress with concerns about the size and power of Amazon. But after a 15-month investigation, they concluded that Amazon had monopoly power, a claim Amazon denies. Here's Congressman Buck again. I was convinced at the end that the market can't take care of this and we need to make some changes so that we can have this competition in in the marketplace. Um, And and frankly, um, it gets me up out of bed in the morning. It really makes me mad that, that these companies act in the way that they act. Welcome to The Journal, our show about money, business, and power. I'm Kate Leinbaugh. It's Thursday, June 17th. Coming up on the show, Congress's new push to rein in and break up Amazon. This episode is brought to you by C3 AI. C3 Generative AI enables rapid access to secure, traceable, hallucination-free insights from enterprise systems, all while using any LLM, helping enterprises turn the invisible into the obvious. Learn more at c3.ai. Until just a couple years ago, Washington was on great terms with big tech. If you go back to the Obama administration, for instance, you know, big tech was glorified. These were Capitol Hill darlings. There was almost like a revolving door between the White House and and the Valley. And companies like Amazon were held up as job creators and innovators. And more recently, the tone has definitely changed. Big tech has become a four-letter word. On the Hill, public sentiment has changed in a lot of ways. And Amazon's definitely bearing the brunt of that. Washington's scrutiny of Amazon really dialed up after the midterm elections of 2018. Democrats won a majority in the House, which meant Congressman Cicilline became the chairman of the antitrust subcommittee. And in 2019, he opened an investigation into whether four big tech companies, Amazon, Apple, Facebook, and Google, had too much power. Here's what he told Dana about what the investigation entailed. We submitted close to 100 requests for information to the platforms, to affected third parties, to enforcement agencies. We solicited feedback from more than 60 leading antitrust experts and academics. We required the platforms to produce over a million documents 
Uh, we held seven oversight hearings and heard from a diverse array of witnesses about the harmful effects of monopoly power in the digital economy. And initially, a top Republican on the subcommittee, Congressman Buck, wasn't so sure Amazon needed to be investigated. He spoke with Dana about it. I was like most Americans at that time. I, I really felt it was a success story. I look at Bill Gates as a success story. And all these folks, they start in their garage, they take a risk, they go and they raise capital and they are successful and they build on that. And uh, I looked at those companies and I thought, this is what America is all about. I went there kind of skeptical. I was a real believer that the marketplace will, will take care of this. Just give the marketplace long enough and there will be new innovators. There'll be new people in new garages with ideas and, and they'll overtake these giants and at least chip away at their power. But pretty quickly, Buck started hearing stories that made him question that assumption. I heard example after example of things that if I had known as a prosecutor, I'd be prosecuting individuals in criminal court for these kinds of violations. Can you give us an example of some of those behaviors that shocked you? Oh, how many hours do you have? I, I can give you example after example. You know, a perfect example with, with Amazon is uh, uh, diapers.com. Diapers.com was this small New Jersey company that in 2009 was selling tons of volume of diapers over the internet. And they had really quick shipping for back then. And it caught the attention of Jeff Bezos and his executive team. And even though Amazon was much, much, much bigger, they put a very elaborate plan in place to try to beat diapers.com. And all the emails became public as a result of this congressional investigation. Amazon slashed the price of all of their diapers and baby wipes on Amazon.com by 30%, which was remarkable. I mean, they were now losing money on every sale. Because of its size, Amazon could afford to lose money on every diaper it sold. Not so much for diapers.com. And, you know, even if customers are loyal to diapers.com, that's going to speak to them, the price, right? So... They started getting lots of defections to Amazon. And diapers.com had to match Amazon, essentially, in order to try to keep their customers. So for the first time in the company's history, they were missing their targets. They were running out of cash. It was like a crisis at the board level for, for diapers.com. Then Amazon offers to buy diapers.com and acquires it um, in, in an acquisition. And uh, they, they were able to do that because they weakened diapers.com in, in that process. For decades, the government has generally been okay with companies taking aggressive steps to lower prices because lower prices are good for consumers. But with diapers.com, Buck said Amazon was engaging in predatory pricing, using low prices as a tool to get its way. Amazon declined to comment for this episode. In the past, when asked about diapers.com, CEO Jeff Bezos has said that lots of companies use competitive pricing to attract new customers. Cicilline and Buck said there were many other examples of Amazon using its size as leverage over sellers, like pop sockets. So a pop socket is a piece of plastic that often goes on the back of your cell phone or your iPad, and it, it helps you hold it better. And it, it kind of pulls out from the back. You've seen them before. I have seen them. Yeah. Do you have one? I have one on my iPad. You like it? Yeah, I do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And how did pop sockets get on their radar? So pop sockets um, 
was a big seller on Amazon. It's a Colorado-based company. It was selling tons of volume there. But from what the CEO says, he testified to Congress and basically spoke publicly about how Amazon bullied him. And he, he called it bullying with a smile. Uh, pop sockets was the number three search term at some point on Amazon. So we had immense success, but uh, despite the success, we, we never felt like we had a genuine partnership with Amazon. So, You know, after a few years of success, it started noticing rampant counterfeits on Amazon, like to the tune of like hundreds of thousands a week. And this started to eat into their brand reputation because these were not high quality products that were masquerading as pop sockets resulted in bad reviews and and missed revenue, right? So they started raising the alarm about this with Amazon, but Amazon was not very receptive. Congressman Cicilline brought this up when we spoke. You know, they sort of said, oh, we're not selling anything. That's that's a third-party seller, which, you know, turns out to be a post office box or something. And so they, they say they have no responsibility and they're allowing this marketplace to directly compete with the creator of PopSockets. And um, from what the CEO says, you know, despite complaining about these counterfeits for a long time, there was no action taken. And then he also told me that the only way he was able to get the counterfeiters off the site was if he agreed to pay Amazon advertising a pretty hefty fee for their services, like in the millions of dollars. I think the PopSockets anecdote was revelatory to people like Buck and Cicilline because it illustrated just how much power Amazon has over its sellers and also how powerless these companies feel when trying to remedy anything on the site. And it started planting the seed for them to think about this company as a monopoly. And what does Amazon say about this? Amazon has said that, you know, they're one of many places that he could choose to sell. And, you know, that there are other options for him. Bezos later said that if PopSocket's allegation was true, that it had to buy advertising to get its counterfeit issues addressed, that that would be unacceptable. He also said the company tries to prosecute counterfeiters. Separately, Dana was doing her own reporting on Amazon, and she was hearing stories from other sellers. These businesses were worried that Amazon wasn't just undercutting them on prices, like Diapers.com alleged, or bullying them in the marketplace, like PopSockets alleged. They were worried that Amazon was actually copying their products. So third-party sellers on Amazon, they're going through the trouble and the R&D expense to create their own products, and then they're selling them on Amazon. And these are, you know, these are sometimes wonky products that you've never seen before. They're innovative. And there was a pattern emerging where a year would go by and they'd become the top seller in this category. And then all of a sudden, lo and behold, an Amazon Basics version would pop up on the website at lesser price and quickly their sales would start to diminish. These Amazon Basics products come from a part of Amazon known as its private label division. This team develops products like batteries or T-shirts that are sold under Amazon's own brand. A lot of retailers have their own private labels, but Dana says Amazon is different from them in one important way. They just had so much more data than everyone else. And I really wanted to understand how they used it. So after digging around on this for a while, I had gotten a tip from someone on the private label group that even though it's against Amazon policy to look at the data from individual third-party sellers on its site, that this was regular part of their practice. 
this, you know, was occurring almost not in secret as they're developing their own line of goods. But I knew just given how how contentious of an issue this was, I actually needed to have the data in hand and understand it myself and see proof of it. Dana talked with more than 20 people who worked for Amazon's private label team. And she eventually found some who were willing to let her review internal data. One person in particular. And I met with this person for the first time at this bar in Seattle. And we really went through the mechanics of how they're copying these products. And and this person really walked me through it. This employee had been doing exactly the things sellers were worried about. This person had been accessing data for individual sellers and on specific products, and then using that data to make Amazon-branded lookalikes. This person told Dana that even though this was against Amazon's policy, it was happening anyway. They were using it to narrow down what products that Amazon should make that coming year. And then they were shipping it off to China to Amazon's employees there and saying, here's the product, here's the data about it, here's the actual physical product, go bring this to your suppliers there and have them make it. It was as simple as that. That blatant. Totally blatant. And, and you know, they had the whole cost structure for these small mom and pop companies that were making the product to begin with to sell on Amazon. They knew how many units they sold, their advertising costs, the cost to ship, how much returns they were getting, average price that it was selling at, etc. So then what they would do is they'd say, okay, let's try to price ours about 20% less than this so it flies off the shelves. And so basically it takes all of the research and development risk and product development risk out of the equation for Amazon. What specific examples did you learn about? Like what were the products and, and the data and metrics that drew you to them? Sure. So the files contained a number of products One of them was a company called Fordham that made a trunk organizer that was a top seller on Amazon. A trunk organizer is sort of like a caddy that people would put in the trunk of their car or their SUV that separates groceries or other products you might keep in your car from like rolling around the back. It actually seemed like a pretty sophisticated company when you went to their website. So I was pretty shocked to learn when I started digging into them that it's really run by two 30-year-old guys from Brooklyn. So I asked if I could take them for breakfast. Just traffic bad? Um, yeah. Yeah. Leaving the bridge. It was days before New York went into shutdown for coronavirus. Um, We met at this restaurant. And, you know, there was a bit of small talk at first just to get to know a little bit about the business and how they set it up. How many employees do you all have? Okay, so we have four employees. So we started there. um, And then, you know, it became time to really drill down into the details. So at that point, I passed along the data and slid it across the table, and their both of their eyes just, like, widened. <laughs> Numbers seem pretty, pretty accurate. Um, that's, that's exactly it. That's mm-hmm. exactly it, right. And the spreadsheet showed very granular data on that company's trunk organizer performance from the prior year. It had information such as the average selling price, how many units they sold, their return rate, what they spent in advertising, and Amazon's profit on each sale. They were like, okay, Amazon's abusive, but it's like, we just kind of make jokes, but we know that we don't... It's like a given, like, it's, it's like, normal. We know that we can't, we don't have any power to stop them, so we just kind of like... A lot of these sellers have these suspicions that Amazon is, is abusing their data. They don't feel like there's any recourse, because first of all, 
These are small sellers going up against a trillion dollar plus company with tons of legal resources, right? Because nobody has the resources that they have to, 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 or, or the margins that they have because they control shipping, they control, they control the fees, they control everything. So, and second of all, all of these sellers are terrified, terrified to bite the hand that feeds them. So even if Amazon is being what they, you know, what they term as abusive, this is, you know, 90% of their income in some ways. And they don't want to raise, you know, the red flag because there's the risk of retaliation. They said, what if Amazon shuts off our account overnight? How do I pay my mortgage? And we're just literally powerless the whole time. And it's just like, it becomes kind of like funny to us. Like, oh yeah, we're getting screwed over. I kind of like want to give a big middle finger to Amazon. So when I went to Amazon with this, they said, if in fact the behavior I was describing was true, that this would have violated company policy. And um, shortly thereafter, they opened up an internal investigation into this practice. While Dana was doing this reporting, the subcommittee was getting deeper into its investigation. And Congressman Buck told Dana that he started to believe Amazon had a pattern of pressuring its sellers. It isn't an isolated incident. And it isn't as if they have one rogue employee who's figured out how to get a bigger Christmas bonus or something. It almost has to be a company policy to just steal and defraud in these ways and just hope to get away with it, that that somebody will, you know, go out of business before the lawsuit is over. But Amazon saw things differently. When one of the company's lawyers testified before the subcommittee in July 2019, he said Amazon made the economy more competitive. And no, it wasn't copying its sellers' products. That data on popularity of products, like much retail data, is actually public data for each of our products. You can see where it's ranked. You can see how popular it is. There was a moment when Amazon was testifying to Congress. Um, It was one of their lawyers at the time. And I had just confirmed that they had been using this data in a way that they said that they weren't using it. And Amazon's lawyer doubled down on saying that to Congress. Uh, We do not use any of that specific seller data in creating our own private brand products. And private brands is an area where, quite frankly, we lack behind many of our retail competitors. And I remember my jaw dropping and thinking, you know, either he's misinformed or he just lied on the record to Congress. We asked Amazon about the truthfulness of the comments made by its lawyer. The company declined to comment, but Bezos has previously said using seller data violates the company's policy. Months after that hearing, Dana published her story about Amazon's private label business, showing that Amazon was copying its seller's products. That made a big splash in Washington. The day that that story ran, Congressman Cicilline and some of his associates issued a press release saying, hey, you might have just lied to us on the record. We need Jeff Bezos to come here and address this. So Bezos went to Washington. That's after the break. Mr. Bezos, you may begin. Thank you, Chairman Cicilline. Last July, Jeff Bezos, along with the CEOs of Apple, Google, and Facebook, testified remotely before the House subcommittee. It was the first time Bezos had ever appeared before Congress. So this was a really high-profile hearing. 
Bezos defended his company's business practices, pointing to Amazon's popularity with customers. Who do Americans trust more than Amazon to do the right thing? Only their doctors and the military. Its track record as a job creator has allowed Amazon to create more jobs in the United States over the past decade than any other company. Amazon employees make a minimum of $15 an hour, more than double the federal minimum wage. And emphasizing that Amazon was just one player in the big universe of retail. Amazon accounts for less than 1% of the $25 trillion global retail market and less than 4% of U.S. retail. There's room in retail for multiple winners. We compete against large, established players like Target, Costco, Kroger, and, of course, Walmart, a company more than twice Amazon's size. But the subcommittee members had tough questions for Bezos. If Amazon didn't have monopoly power over these sellers, do you think they would choose to stay in a relationship that is characterized by bullying, fear, and panic? With all respect, Congresswoman, I... I I do not accept the premise of your question. That is not how we operate the business. Mr. Bezos, did you personally sign off on the plan to raise prices after Amazon limited its competition? I don't remember uh, that at all. Uh, Isn't it an inherent conflict of interest for Amazon to produce and sell products on its platform that compete directly with third-party sellers, particularly when you, Amazon, sets the rules of the game? Thank you. No, I don't believe it is. Uh, Lawmakers wanted to know whether Amazon had in fact copied sellers' products, like Dana had reported. What I can tell you is we have a policy against using seller-specific data uh, to aid our private label business, Uh, but I can't guarantee you that that policy has never been violated. Dana asked both congressmen what they thought of Bezos' testimony. Here's what Cicilline said. To me, it was really clear he's just very unaccustomed to being questioned, period. It was also incredible to me that he claimed to be not as familiar with business practices as you would expect him to be. That was hard to believe, very hard to believe. In fact, almost impossible to believe. And here's Buck. I can't blame Bezos in a lot of ways because he has a huge company. And, and to know what every single person is doing and, and what each business unit is doing. But I think part of what we're talking about is a business culture. And the business culture starts at the top. And in this company, it's clear that the business culture is all about uh, making more money and crushing competition and skirting the antitrust laws as much as possible. Last fall, a few months after Bezos testified, the subcommittee wrapped its investigation and released its findings. It concluded that Amazon had monopoly power, that it had too much power in the economy and too much power over the businesses on its marketplace. And it found evidence that Amazon had used seller data to create competing products. In October, Congress issued this massive, comprehensive 400-page report on the results of their investigation. Basically, it found that each of those four companies held monopoly power in one or more areas. For Amazon, they determined that Amazon has monopoly power over its sellers. How significant is that finding? It was a bit of a seminal moment for Congress to call Amazon a monopoly over its sellers. That's not a word that's used lightly. And all of a sudden, Amazon was being, you know, used as the, in the same breath as companies like Standard Oil. It signaled that they thought that regulation needed to come down the pike. 
Each of the four companies, Amazon, Apple, Facebook, and Google, disputed the findings of the report. Amazon said that while it welcomes scrutiny from regulators, large companies are not dominant by definition, and that it was wrong to assume that success could only be the result of anti-competitive behavior. Amazon has also said low prices are good for customers. And historically, Congress has agreed. But now, Cicilline told Dana that low prices aren't enough on their own. It doesn't benefit the customer if there's a significant decline in innovation because they're a monopoly. It doesn't benefit the customer if small businesses can't survive. It doesn't benefit the customer if they steal or collect information to directly compete with small businesses and put them out of business. So, you know, there's a lot of harm here that doesn't relate to price, that relates to workers, that relates to innovation, that relates to small business, um, and that relates to the degrading of quality. I think if you look at just price, you are looking at a much too narrow view of the harm that a monopoly can cause. Based on the findings of this investigation, Congress drafted legislation to break up Amazon. That's what was released on Friday. One bill in particular took aim at Amazon's relationship with the sellers on its marketplace. And Dana talked with Cicilline about it. So there's a bill that focuses on the idea of structural separation. In layman's terms, that means you cannot operate a marketplace and compete on that marketplace. And that would take direct aim at Amazon. It would require a company like Amazon to elect either to be a marketplace and no longer produce goods and services to sell in the marketplace or to be a producer of goods and services and no longer uh, operate the marketplace. The point of it will be you can't do both things. One company can't do both things. So for a company like Amazon, they couldn't both sell voice-activated speakers and create echoes. Exactly. Should Amazon be broken up? Yes. What would that look like? It would be a structural separation. It would say you can do either be the platform that sells goods and services or be a producer of goods and services, that you just, you can't do both things. What would that mean for customers? Um, would it become harder to online shop if, if something like this would be were to be implemented? No, not at all. I mean, there would still be a marketplace. Presumably Amazon would be the marketplace. There would still be lots of products. But Amazon would just be limited to maintaining the marketplace and I think then having an incentive to actually ensure that the marketplace functioned properly and people were treated fairly and consumers and sellers had the ability to get answers to questions. So I actually think it would be better for consumers. And Buck, Cicilline's Republican counterpart, says it wouldn't only be consumers that benefit. He says the proposed legislation would help people hoping to create the Amazons of the future. You mentioned there, you know, some of this legislation coming around so that there'll be future Amazons and future Googles and Apples. How do you find the right balance there? If, for instance, Amazon has to choose between being a platform or a seller of goods and services, could that discourage future founders from setting up the next Amazon if there's too much regulation? Well, it, it hopefully discourages future investors and future innovators from creating the next monopoly that crushes everybody. The only way Amazon got got started and, and was successful was that there was a marketplace. And it's, it's actually denying others the opportunity that, that Jeff had uh, decades ago. 
Amazon hasn't spoken publicly about the new bills and what they could mean for the company. And there's still a long way to go before the bills would become law. They have to pass both the House and the Senate. If this legislation passes, how fundamentally could it reshape Amazon's business? You know, if these bills were to pass, that would be major. I mean, Amazon has put tons of resources and brain power into things like smart speakers and Alexa and Kindle. These products have become synonymous with the company. So for a company like Amazon to have to choose either making and selling them or running this massive marketplace where the bulk of its business is, I mean, that's, that's a catch-22. I think Amazon has a lot of choices to make ahead of it. Do they do like a split down the middle and come up with a first-party marketplace and a second-party marketplace, which would change the shopping experience dramatically? Is it worth the reputational risk and like the legal risk? I think there's a lot of questions they're probably asking internally, both in Seattle and in Washington, D.C. right now. That's all for today, Thursday, June 17th. The Journal is a co-production of Gimlet and The Wall Street Journal. Your hosts are Ryan Knudsen and me, Kate Leinbaugh. The show is produced by Katherine Brewer, Pia Gadkari, Martin Kessler, Annie Minoff, Laura Morris, Afif Nasuli, Ricky Novetsky, Enrique Perez, Sarah Platt, Willa Rubin, Matthew Sherman, Annie Rose Strasser, and John White. Our engineers are Griffin Tanner, Nathan Singapak, and Matthew Ball. Our theme music is by So Wiley. Additional music this week from Blue Dot Sessions. Fact-checking by Nicole Pasulka. Thanks for listening. We're off tomorrow, but we'll be back on Sunday with the final episode in our mini-series, To the Moon. In Sunday's episode, the GameStop rocket ship comes down to Earth. See you then. <laughs>